It's an unusual text for an Easter sermon, but we're going to read from the book of Jonah. Jonah, chapter 2. Hosea, Jonah, or sorry, Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk. If you get anywhere in the minor prophets, start flipping around, you'll find Jonah. Jonah, chapter 2. You might find it surprising, but there's only one prophet that Jesus explicitly identified with when he was on earth. It wasn't Isaiah, it wasn't Ezekiel, even Moses. It was Jonah. He named Jonah and identified with Jonah directly. And it's shocking considering Jonah and Jonah's rebellion, considering the fact that Jonah actually seemed to do the opposite of what God commanded. He wasn't displayed in the text as a model prophet or really even a model Hebrew. But it is interesting to see the positive parallels between Jonah and Jesus. Like Jesus, Jonah's ministry seems to have been mostly ignored by the Jews and mostly accepted and embraced by Gentiles. It was a message of judgment and repentance, but also a message of salvation. But much more than that, the sign of Jonah that we read in the New Testament text, just as Jonah was in three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and the nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh repented, but something greater than Jonah is here. And in Luke, as Jonah became a sign to the people of Nineveh, so the Son of Man will be to this generation. The sign of Jonah shows the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, our Lord. So we'll be reading from Jonah chapter 2. I'll read all ten verses. This is a a holy inspired text. It's been preserved by the Holy Spirit for you this morning. So would you please stand and hear the reading of God's holy word. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Then I said, I'm driven away from your sight. Yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. The weeds were wrapped about my head at the roots of the mountains. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you, into your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. Amen. Please be seated. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word. Let us pray. 
Father, we come to you once again. Once again, we ask that you would take these broken vessels and pour your life into us. Holy Spirit, do your work in Jesus' name. Amen. The Easter sign of Jonah. I thought long and hard about what text to preach from. I typically don't have to choose a text since we go through the scriptures verse by verse. But I don't want to miss the opportunity to preach the resurrection of Christ. But that meant I had to choose a text. And this is where the Lord led me. Jonah, he suffered greatly. That's the first thing that we'll see in this text. Jonah saw also that he was punished by God. It's the second point. Thirdly, we'll see that Jonah trusted God, even in the midst of his suffering. Fourthly, Jonah was given new life, another opportunity. Each one of these points have application for us on this earth, but there's also parallels to the work and ministry of Jesus. So first point, Jonah suffered greatly on the earth. Why did Jonah suffer? A three-year-old could tell you. He suffered because he ran away from God. He disobeyed. He did the wrong thing. And he was disciplined by God. He was in the belly of a great fish, but he felt as if he were in the belly of Sheol or death. It's the Old Testament way of saying death or the grave. In verse 2, he writes, Out of the belly of Sheol I cried. He's in the great fish, but he says, Out of the belly of Sheol I cried. He was all alone, afraid and suffering in this great fish. Imagine how terrifying it would be. It's dark, I can imagine. It's dark inside a great fish. It probably is not pleasant to be there inside a great fish. And in this great fish, he feels like he's about to die. Verse 3, he says, All your waves and billows passed over me. He experienced these things. You may have uh, some idea of what he's talking about if you've been to the beach and you went out a little too far or the waves were a little bit too big and one of these waves crashes over you and you just feel like you're thrown around. You can't even, there's nowhere to swim. You just have to wait until the wave passes over you. Jonah felt this and much more. Verse 5, he says, The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. If you're ever kind of in a lake or in an open ocean and you go down too deep, you know, sometimes you feel the cold and you, all of a sudden you feel like I'm in the wrong place. It doesn't feel right when you feel that that water turned from warm to cold. Jonah was down in the deep. He was in the cold water. So far down that weeds were wrapped around his head. He went to the land whose bars close upon me forever. He thought he was dying. He thought he would die. He didn't know that he was going to be spit out. He didn't know. He felt like death was on him. 
And we remember that Jesus said, for as Jonah was assigned to the people of Nineveh, so Christ will be assigned to this generation. There's parallels here as well when we see the suffering of Christ. Jesus also cried out from the belly of Sheol. Hebrews 5 verse 7 says, In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears. Beginning in the Garden of Gethsemane until his death on the cross, when he cried out with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit, he cried out as Jonah did. He was in terrible distress. Remember on the cross, he was wounded already. He had been beaten to a pulp. He was in shock. And he felt like all the waves and billows of death were passing over him, I'm sure. From the garden to the cross, the waters of death were passing over him. But not not literally, of course. But his suffering was prophetically summarized by David in Psalm 22. Bulls surround me, strong bulls of Bashan encircle me, roaring lions that tear their prey, open their mouths wide against me. I am poured out like water. All my bones are out of joint, and my heart is turned to wax. It is melted within me. Dogs surround me, a pack of villains encircles me. They pierce my hands and feet. I am a worm and not a man, scorned by everyone, despised by the people. Like Jonah, and much worse, he felt alone and afraid. He was surrounded, not by the waters of the ocean, but by evil men who wanted to kill him. In Matthew 27 and Mark 15, we read that he was surrounded, literally surrounded by a whole battalion of Roman soldiers who were making sport of him, who were torturing him and beating him. You can see why David says bulls and dogs who seek to take my life surround me. And as Jonah had weeds wrapped around his head from the ocean, Christ had weeds wrapped around his head with thorns pounded into his skull. Like Jonah, he thought he was going to die. But unlike Jonah, he actually did die. He died and descended into the belly of Sheol to the grave where his body would remain for three days. Jesus suffered much worse than Jonah ever could. But it was more than just a physical suffering. You see, Jonah didn't only suffer. He knew that he was suffering under God's hand. It wasn't random. It wasn't the sailors. It wasn't even the ocean. It was God. It's in the text. Let me show you. Verse 3. Jonah says, For you cast me into the deep. If you remember the chapter before, the sailors are the ones who threw him into the ocean. And Jonah says, you, dear God, you cast me into the deep. He also says, all your waves and your billows passed over me. It wasn't Mother Nature. It wasn't just a bad storm. This was God's hand. He knew that he had been driven from God's sight. Verse 4, I am driven away from your sight. And when you think of sight or looking on someone, this is important Hebrew imagery to, to have your face towards someone, to look at someone. 
especially Yahweh, especially God. The ironic blessing, probably the favorite Christian blessing of all time, the Lord bless you and keep you and make His face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. To turn His face or His countenance toward you and give you peace. To give you shalom. Which is more than just not at war kind of peace. Shalom is like a life of rest. A life of peace. And right after that blessing in Numbers, God told Aaron that this blessing put God's name on Israel so that He could bless them. That's what that blessing did. So to be driven from the sight of God, Jonah says, you drove me from your sight. He's saying your shalom, your peace, the blessing of God is not upon me. It was the worst thing that a Hebrew could imagine. A Hebrew without the vision of God. And yet, as Jonah was assigned to the people of Nineveh, so Christ will be assigned to this generation. There are parallels to our Lord. You know, we know that Jesus felt the wrath of God on the cross. It wasn't the physical wounds. So many people focus on the physical wounds of Christ. That's why He was sweating drops of blood in the garden, right? No. You know how many thousands and thousands of martyrs have courageously walked to their death, to their torture, without sweating, without crying, actually singing hymns to God? It wasn't the physical wounds that Christ was scared of. It was the wrath of His Father being placed upon Him. He felt that His Father had forsaken Him, which is why He cries out on the cross, My God, My God, why have You forsaken Me? He was identifying with the whole cry of Psalm 22. He wasn't suffering on the cross primarily because some wicked men had put Him there. Although that's part of it. Peter in his first sermon in Acts chapter 2 says this is part of why he suffered. Evil men nailed, you to the, nailed him to the cross. But it was by the definite plan and ordinate, ordained plan of God. He was suffering the wrath of God by the design of God. The eternal plan of God. That's why in Revelation 13, John calls him the Lamb of God slain from the foundation of the earth. We also read of his suffering in Isaiah 53. He was smitten by God. The Lord has laid on him. The Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. It was the will of the Lord to crush him. He felt forsaken. Why are you so far from saving me? This is how he felt. Psalm 22. My God, I cry out by day, but you do not answer. Just as Jonah felt cast away from God's sight, so did the son, but much, much more severely. Because he knew real unity with the Trinity. He knew the Father and the Holy Ghost in perfect love. And there's another difference though. Jesus wasn't suffering for His own sin like Jonah. Jesus was suffering for Jonah's sin and for all those who would believe. Not His own. This wasn't a father forsaking a son out of disappointment or rejection or discipline. 
He turned His face away from His Son out of love for sinners like me and you. Sinners like Jonah. Jesus was punished by God for our sins. So Jonah and Jesus both suffered, and they both suffered under God's hand. But thirdly, Jonah trusted in God. He trusted God, even in the belly of this whale, of this giant fish. He didn't know if he would see God again. He didn't know if he would live. He thought he might die there, and yet he trusted God. Jonah 2, verse 2, he says, I cried and you heard my voice. Even in the midst of that great suffering that we already discussed, he still trusted that God heard his prayers. And he also believed that he would see God again. Verse 4, yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. He thinks he's going to worship God again, doesn't he? Whether on earth or in heaven, he knows he's going to worship God and that God hears him. I remembered the Lord and my prayer came to you, verse 7, in your holy temple. And then shockingly in verse 9, he says, But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. So he knew he was a great sinner before the sight of God. He knew that God had cast him into the ocean and brought him to the point of death. And still Jonah says, with the voice of thanksgiving, I will sacrifice to you. He goes on to say in verse 8, others forsake their hope of steadfast love. Other people might forsake their hope of steadfast love. If they were in my shoes, they might forsake God altogether. Do you ever feel in difficulty or times of hardship that God has been just unjust to you and you're just going to forget about it? That might be a temptation of the human condition, but Jonah said he would not forsake his hope of steadfast love. The covenant promises of God for Jonah were eternally true. And this steadfast love, as you know, is a very special Hebrew word, hesed. And it refers to the covenant promises of God, the covenant love of God. It's a special saving love. The covenant promises Jonah knew were true and would always be true. When you think of the covenant promise, the covenant formula really is all you need to remember. I will be your God and you will be my people. That's what God promised. So Jonah knew, even at the point of death, that God was still his God and he was still God's child. No matter what happens to each one of you in life, always remember that God is still God. And if you have faith in him, you are still his child. In the midst of difficulty, of hardship, of of great turmoil in your life, even to the point of death. God has not forsaken you. You will again someday see him. You can be confident of that, as Jonah was. Just like Jonah, you are God's special possession. He has redeemed you. He has called you by name. You are his. But just as Jonah was assigned to the people of Nineveh, so Christ would be assigned to this generation. Similarly, and more perfectly, Christ's 
trust in God was unwavering. Through all of his humiliation, through all of his suffering, he suffered mightily on the cross. In his flesh, he knew that even in his body, he knew that nothing could separate him from his father's love. Even while under the wrath of his father, experiencing hell, he knew that nothing could ever keep him from seeing God again someday. His father would ultimately deliver him. He trusted him. In Psalm 22, we have an idea of what Jesus was thinking, of what he felt. Verse 4, And you, our ancestors, put their trust. They trusted, and you delivered them. They cried out and were saved, but they were saved in you, and they trusted and were not put to shame. Christ knew that he would not ultimately be put to shame. He would not be ultimately forgotten by his Father. Verse 10, he said, You have been my God from the womb. Literally, Jesus was, as a human, in the flesh, God's child from the womb. And although he was bruised and punished and suffered the righteous wrath of God on our behalf, he knew that he would declare someday God's name to God's people once again. He would worship or lead in worship. Verse 23, you who fear the Lord, praise him. Verse 24, he has not despised or scorned the suffering of his afflicted ones. He has not hidden his face from him, but has listened to his cry for help. He knew that someday that union of the Father and the Son would be perfectly restored. Now the Trinity can't be broken. But still in his flesh, he felt the full wrath of God. The full hell of God. And he knew that that union would be restored one day. And that he and the Father and the Holy Spirit would be worshipped and glorified once again by all mankind. But truly it was the Lord's will, the Father's will to crush him. And unlike the suffering of Jonah, the suffering of Christ was an eternity of hell on the cross. In those six hours on the cross, darkness descended and God's wrath was poured out upon His Son. And because He is an infinite being, even though His flesh was fully human, He endured an eternity of hell. And He knew, even in that, that He would still see God's face. He knew that the promises of God were true and that He never wavered. Which is why at the end of it all, he said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. He told his disciples many times that this would happen. He knew it was coming. He knew that Psalm 22 was about him. He knew Isaiah 53 was about him. He knew the scriptures all pointed to this. It was God's promise to give his son a people for his own possession. But this would only come at the cost of great suffering. You were bought with a price, brother and sister. You were bought with a price. And he knew that God's promise that he would rise again was true. So Jonah and Christ, Christ much, much more, had unwavering trust. Considering the great suffering that he was under, it makes the trust in his father all that much more glorious. And finally, point four. Jonah was given a second chance, new life. After three days in the belly of the great fish, God commanded the creature to vomit Jonah upon the ground. That sounds really good, doesn't it? To be vomited upon the dry land. 
Can you imagine the freedom after living in a giant fish for three days? Three days, no sleep, wondering if you're going to breathe, wondering if you're going to survive. We lived in Alaska for three years, and there were a couple times when we flew away and went down to the lower 48, and the air just is not the same. And when we would fly back to Alaska, as soon as the door opened up and you breathed clean air again, you didn't know what it even, if you've ever done this, you know what I'm talking about. The air is so crisp and clean and you breathe it in and it just feels pure. I mean, just a taste of what Jonah probably felt for the first time to breathe again, to breathe the clean air. Can you imagine having your feet on solid ground after days at sea in a fish? You think you get seasick on a boat in a fish. Sometimes when I used to fly planes, we would give incentive flights. We had a couple jets that had two seats. So if someone earned some, some maintainer earned some reward, they would get to fly in the back seat of one of our two-seaters. And of course, they're all super cocky. You know, this prima donna pilot, he doesn't work for squat and just breaks my airplanes and We take him up and we just fly a mission with him. And it's an environment that no one is used to. It crushes you. It crushes your soul. It crushes your body. And how many times, I can't remember, we'd open the cockpit and the guy just gets down on the ground and kisses the ground and starts throwing up. And then he's exhausted. He can't even come to work the next day because his body is so exhausted. And then he had a little more respect for us in the future too. But can you imagine... Similarly, Jonah's feeling of being finally feet on the ground once again. I could just imagine myself kissing the sand and throwing the sand all over myself, just being so happy not to be in this fish. He was done. And the sense of the word in Hebrew that is translated vomit is is like an explosive thing. It's like a spewing out, like a blowhole of a whale or something. So... The fish could no longer contain him. He he exploded Jonah out onto the beach. Why? Because he didn't taste good? No, because the Lord had commanded that fish to give him up. (laughs) That wasn't supposed to be funny, but I'm glad it was. (laughs) The Lord commanded the fish to give him up. That's why he exploded him out onto the beach. Jonah was given as a sign to the people of Nineveh. So Christ was assigned to this generation... He was in the belly of the earth for three days. He wasn't spewed from the tomb like Jonah was from the fish. But still his resurrection is portrayed in some violent manner. There's an earthquake. It's as if he's he's exploding from the tomb in all the power of of his divinity. Earthquakes and angels and lightning. The grave could not contain the Son of God. Like an explosion of light. Indeed, there are similarities between the resurrection and the creation. According to John T. Rhodes, I believe him. He said in the first act of creation, God created the heavens and the earth. And by the word of his power, the universe burst into existence. He said, let there be light. And light exploded onto onto the universe. Exploded into the cosmos in an instant. When God raised Jesus from the dead, He spoke and Christ burst from the grave and the new world began. 
And this is really the sign of Jonah. We've talked about a lot of similarities, but the sign of Jonah is primarily this, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that He was buried, and on the third day He was raised in accordance with the Scriptures for our justification. The Scripture that Paul refers to when he says accordance with the Scriptures certainly refers also to Jonah. Jonah suffered And he suffered under God's hand, but he trusted God and he was given new life. Infinitely higher, Christ suffered and he suffered under God's wrath. He trusted God and God gave him new life. Verse 9 of chapter 2 in Jonah is one of the most famous passages really in all of Scripture where Jonah proclaims clearly that salvation is from the Lord. And this is my conclusion. Salvation is from the Lord. Salvation, if you remember, in the Hebrew language is pronounced Yeshua, Jesus. Yeshua is from the Lord. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Salvation is found nowhere else but in the name of Jesus. There is no other name under heaven whereby men must be saved. Jesus Christ. Not only has he conquered hell and death, He's risen from the grave. And he sits at the right hand of the Almighty God in his flesh and bones, his human glorified body. He was seen by over 500 men for 40 days. Salvation is from Yahweh. So, look at verse 41. The men of Nineveh, sorry, this is Matthew. 1241, the men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And Jesus says, and behold, something greater than Jonah is here. Something greater than Jonah. Jesus. If there is any doubt in your mind that you have faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone, today is the day of your salvation. Turn your hearts to Christ alone today. Jesus cannot be just one of many things that you worship. That's not faith in Christ. That's not saving faith. He alone can be the only object of worship in your life. That's it. Like Paul, you should say that everything else in life is rubbish. I count count as all as rubbish. That I may gain Christ and be found in Him. Turn to God today. Don't just turn to Him. Run to God. Run to Jesus Christ today. Let us pray. Our Father and our God, we thank You for the plan of redemption that brought our salvation. We thank You that in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, we also are told to go out and share the good news with the world. Lord, we thank You that You have commissioned each one of us who are your children, to do the same. The same that you did, to teach others all that you commanded us. We pray that the resurrection of Jesus Christ would inspire our love, our worship, that we would in our hearts behold the glory of Christ. We would remember the great suffering that we were bought with a price 
And for those who are not yours in this room or in the sound of my voice, pray that the Holy Spirit would regenerate their hearts, produce in them a desire to repent, produce in them a desire to have faith. Do your work, Holy Spirit. Let your word not return void. And for the rest of this day, for the rest of our lives, may the resurrection of Jesus Christ be primary of first importance in our own lives. In Jesus' name, amen. For the rest of our lives,